let's dive into this subject then of prophets. Who are they? How do we recognize them? How do we grow them? What does the Bible have to say about them? And just by way of uh, introduction, I remember when I was still at school, I was probably 14 years old. Uh, I was living in Brighton at the time. I grew up in Sussex. And I remember my RE lessons, we were talking about modern day prophets. I don't know if you remember your RE lessons, but often they talk about modern day prophets. And I had to do this essay on, you know, name some modern day prophets and the effect they've had on your life. And I remember this exam question coming up and I thought, well, what modern prophet day prophets do I know? The only two I could think of were Martin Luther King and David Fellingham. about Martin Luther King and David Fellingham in my RE exam when I was at school. And um, you know, I did pass, but only just. <laughs> so, um, but I think in some ways that kind of represents the uh, the kind of the, the recent history of the last few decades when it comes to thinking about prophets because the reality is probably 10 years ago I could count on one hand the number of mature prophets that I personally knew that I could recommend to other churches to go and input and equip and train and I suddenly had this eureka moment one day where I thought Jesus that is not enough if, if we're going to if we're going to plant churches right across the world, if we're going to impact culture, if we're going to bring the gospel of the kingdom into every corner of our planet, we're going to need all the ministries, but we're going to need some prophets. We're going to need more than just a handful of guys or women who are doing it. And so I began to pray about this, and God began to speak to me about helping to raise up a thousand prophets, which is the kind of journey that I've been on and we've been on as a church in King's Arms and numbers of others' friends that were kind joining together on this mission to we've got to find God's prophets and call them out of the cave and onto the field of ministry onto the field of activity because the reality is there are emerging potential men and women who are called to be prophets in your churches but they need you to recognize them value them call them out and call them in to the ministry that God has assigned for them And when we do, incredible things start to happen. Because prophets are part of the divine bodybuilding team that Jesus has put on the planet. Okay, They're part of the divine bodybuilding team in the body of Christ. And it's so fun when you begin to recognize prophets and call them into their destiny. Um, I was in uh, another nation... Uh, last year and got to meet a, a new friend of mine who I'd met the previous year and I prophesied over him and this friend of mine is called Yusuf and he's in an African nation and the first time I met him I could strongly see a prophetic calling on his life and so I called him out I said God has called you to be a prophet he's called you to be a prophetic mouthpiece in your nation and in fact God is going to start to open up to you opportunities to speak to ministers and kings and rulers and authorities in your nation because you're called to be a prophet for your nation now this guy is a computer engineer by training so he's not in any kind of government circles that's not really what he does but he strongly just felt that witness of the holy spirit at that moment as he received it with faith so anyway we we left as a team 
And he just began to pray about God uh, working this calling out in his life. And in one week, he had a series of dreams. He had five dreams in a row over five nights. In the first four dreams, he dreamt that he was prophesying over the vice president of the country. And each morning that he would wake up, he would say, Lord, was that you? If it was, please speak to me again. And so for four nights, he has the same dream. On the fifth night, the president of the country appears in his dream, points at my friend Yusuf and says, you have to prophesy over the vice president. And so he wakes up thinking, all right, well, Lord, this is, I think this is you. If it is, you're going to have to open up an opportunity. Well, numbers of months go past and he's at a party with a mutual friend. And at this party, his friend introduces him to the vice president's daughter. And she says to this, this, this girl, he says, oh, I'd love to meet your father. What, is there any chance that I could meet him? And she says, there is no chance that you're going to meet my dad. Everyone wants to see my dad. Every Tom, Dick and Harry wants to meet him because they always want something from him. Just out of interest, why do you want to see him? And he says... Well, uh, I've got a word from God for him. (laughs) And she's like, oh really? Well, what's the word? And he says, well, I don't know. He hasn't told me yet. (laughs) She she says, well, I'm sorry. That's just, you know, it's not going to happen. But anyway, he, he gives her his number. And he says, well, listen, if you do happen to talk to your father and he changes his mind, call me. So, a couple of weeks passed. He gets a call out of the blue from the vice president's daughter. And she says, I spoke to my dad and he wants to see you. He's going to send his guys around to come and get you. <laughs> now, bear in mind, this guy is in the nation where the vice president is known as the most brutal guy on the government. So he is the guy that disappears people that don't support the government. So he arranges car crashes. He arranges kidnappings. He arranges people to get disappeared. So when he says, I'm going to send my guys around to get you, that kind of is laden with all sorts of other stuff. So anyway, my friend Yusuf, uh, he gets picked up by these security guys. He gets blindfolded. He gets put in the back of a van, blacked out van, so he doesn't know where he's going. And he gets driven off, either to his death or to meet the vice president. He ends up in the vice president's office. And God just begins to speak to him a word for the vice president. And he sees this guy and he says, uh, you've got an alarm clock by your bedside. This is what color it is. This is what it looked like. You've got a notebook. This is what time you write in your notebook every single morning. And yesterday, this is what you wrote in your notebook about the nation. You write your hopes and nations about the nation in this notebook. And he began to tell him the things that he was writing down in this notebook. Now, how many of you know at that point, you've got the vice president's attention? And then he just began to prophesy God's purposes into this man's life. You see, when you begin to discover and unearth God's prophets, suddenly you get people onto the field of play that we desperately, desperately need. Prophets are the divine bodybuilders of the kingdom. And part of our job is to learn to recognize them when we see them and also know what it is that they actually do. And so to help us, we're going to look at Ephesians 4, uh, verse 7. This, uh, these are very familiar uh, words of scripture to us, written by the Apostle Paul. And he is writing here about the different gifts of Christ. So Ephesians 4, verse 7. 
says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Skip down to verse 11. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Alright, we're just going to unpick those verses and apply it to the prophetic ministry. You could, of course, apply this into those other ministry gifts that are mentioned, but this this afternoon we're going to apply it particularly into prophets. So firstly, verse 7, Paul says, to each one of us, grace has been apportioned. Grace has been apportioned. Now, here... Paul is not just talking about the undeserved favour grace, he's talking about the operational power of God's grace. Okay, There are two ways in which the grace of God is used. Sometimes grace is about the unconditional favour of God towards you, but also Paul here is talking about grace, which is the operational power of God, which gives you the ability to move in the gifts that he gives. Grace has been apportioned to you, and different grace has been apportioned to to each person, which means the grace that's on your life is different than the person that you're sitting next to, because Christ has apportioned it. Okay, He's distributed his gifts amongst his people. He's given grace, and it's grace that gives you your ability. Now, it's important to underline this, that actually your ability and the grace gifts to move in the prophetic has nothing to do with your character. Because grace gifts are not a reward for good behaviour. Grace gifts are grace gifts. (laughs) He just gives good gifts to his children quite apart from your performance or your character or your behaviour. And that is why probably all of us know very prophetically gifted people who perhaps have pretty lousy characters. (laughs) Because grace gifts are not connected to character. Now, character is the right vessel for gifts to grow, but actually, you don't need a great godly character to move in a prophetic anointing, because they're grace gifts. They're given by God just because God is good. And that's why scripture actually is full of stories for our instruction of men and women who carried great gifts, but they needed a lot of work. You know, you take a Samson who was a prophet. I mean, he was a judge and a prophet and a leader in the nation. Incredible grace apportioned by God, but man, lousy character, lousy life choices. You know, you've got a, a Peter who incredible gifts from God, grace apportioned to Peter, you know, but one minute he's, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And then the next minute he's like, let's cut that guy's ear off with a sword. You know, that, that, that kind of describes this kind of juxtaposition of gifting and character. Grace is not an award. I once heard Terry Virgo say this. He said, I must respect God's anointing even if I don't like the channel. This is a very important biblical principle. I 
could end up out of step with the Spirit. The giving of gifts and anointing is not a reward for sound doctrine and good church order. In the Old Testament, Samson was far from perfect, but he was anointed by God, and he is in the list of faith heroes in Hebrews 11. So while we don't want to embrace foolishness, neither do we want to miss God. Now I underline that because some of the emerging and potential prophets in your church right now may have real ability and gifting, but they need your help to grow their character. What I would say to you is don't dismiss people just because they need work. Don't dismiss people just because there's some roughness around the edges. That is why they're in the family of God. That's why they're in the community. That's why you need one another to help shape the wineskin so it's fit for the wine. You need both. But sometimes our search for profit starts by recognising the grace gift that's on them and working from that point. Paul goes on in verse 8. He says, That is why Christ gave gifts to his people. He gave gifts to his people. Again, interesting that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, where Paul is teaching about gifts, he uses a slightly different terminology than he uses here in Ephesians 4. In 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. In Ephesians 4, he talks about the gifts of the ascended Christ. Interesting distinction there. I want to suggest to you that the reason that he makes that distinction is that the gifts that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 are primarily activity gifts. They're gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that when the Holy Spirit comes in us, we prophesy, or we pray for the sick, or we bring words of knowledge, or we pray with faith, or we distinguish spirits. These describe Holy Spirit activities, gifts that all of us can move in. He's describing divinely inspired abilities. Again, just a note on this. If you want to grow profits in your church, one thing that's very important for you to do is still value the activity of prophesying. Okay? My question is, where is that happening in your context? Where is that happening in your life? We've got to fight, not just for believing in prophecy, but making space for it. So where does that happen? If you want to grow profits, I mean, ground zero, 101 is, encourage people to hear Jesus and prophesy. Whether they're they're brand brand newly saved, or whether they've been a Christian for a hundred years, we've got to encourage an appetite for hearing the voice of God. And that we all get to hear him, because that's our own inheritance. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. This is your inheritance. Prophecy is not for the select few. It's not just for the prophets. If you're a son or a daughter, you get to hear the father. That's your inheritance. That's your birthright as a child of God. You get to hear him. And so we should expect that when people get born into the kingdom, instantly they get born into an expectation. I can hear my father speak. This beautiful story, numbers of years ago, I was in uh, a kids' work meeting, and uh, there was a little kind of group of girls that we were kind of coaching the prophetic, and we were getting them just to pray for one another and to prophesy. And so uh, one girl prophesied over this another girl called Philippa, 
And she said, I just see this picture of Jesus putting up a ladder onto a high wall and he is climbing up and he's inviting you to join him on this ladder. And he's, he's calling your name. He's calling you to join him. Now, I knew that Philippa wasn't a Christian. And so to me, this was a clear invitation for salvation. And so we just said to Philippa, listen, would you like to know Jesus today? And she's like, oh, yes, please. I'd love to. And so we just led her to Jesus right there in this kind of circle of, of girls. And then we carried on the prophetic exercise. Now, the next person to prophesy was Philippa. So she'd been saved five seconds. And she is the next person who prophesies. Now, she was not from a Christian background. She had no Christian family. To my knowledge, she had no previous Christian history. This is what she prophesied. She prophesies over this other girl. She says, I can see that Jesus is inviting you to a banqueting table. She says, there's this banqueting table laid out and it's this amazing kind of scenery, an amazing place and there's all these different courses that Jesus is laying out for you. The first course is like the beginning of your life. The middle course is like the, the main bit of your life and the end course is when you die. At which point I thought, oh no, this is going so well. This is an amazing moment. But then she said, but that's, the last course is the best course of all. Because when you die, you get to be with Jesus forever. I was like, oh, that's so amazing. You've been saved five seconds and you're hearing Jesus. You know, you want to grow profits? Learn how to have a high value for hearing him from your earliest kids all the way through. So important. But here in Ephesians 4, Paul is not talking about prophecy. He's talking about prophets. Gifts of Christ. Paul says, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets. Prophecy is something that you do. A prophet is someone that you are. Okay? Now, if you remember nothing else from today, this is a really important thing to remember. Prophecy is an activity. Prophets are people. And what Paul is saying here is that prophets are people gifts given by the ascended Christ to the people of God. They're not activities. They're people. They're people. Just nudge the person next to you and say, they're people. Prophets are people. (laughs) Prophets are people. And I think, to be honest, we've not had a very good understanding of this in charismatic churches through the years. And that is why we've relegated prophets to people who share words from a microphone on a Sunday. If that is your view of what a prophet is, you have not got a biblical view of what a prophet really is and really does. Prophets are people gifts, and guess what? People come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and gift types. I don't know if you've noticed that. People are very, very different, which means that prophets, like apostles, like evangelists, like teachers and pastors, they come in people packages. They're very, very different, which means please throw out your stereotype of what a prophet is. That's right. Thank you, Rob. Please (laughs) throw out your stereotypes. 
you know, so many times I have been in settings where I felt my heart break because people have caricatured prophets as all being eccentric individuals like John the Baptist who eat locusts and honey for breakfast, who have poor social skills, who don't like community, who are weird, who are on the fringes, who need drawing in, who are a little bit hard to connect to, who are always kind of on the margins. They're kind of isolated loners, weirdos on the edges of church life. We've got to kill that stereotype because that is not New Testament. That is an Old Testament model of prophetic ministry that was never meant to be continued into the New Testament community. That is an old covenant. We're in a new covenant where God gives people gifts in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. I've met just as many weird pastors as I have prophets. I've met just as just as many weird evangelists as I have prophets. Why? Because we're people. And people are different. We come with all sorts of peculiarities and eccentricities and personality traits. Some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us externally process. Some of us internally process. You know, prophets, some prophets write poetry. Some are artists. Some are, are have a heart for social justice. Some love to bring words of knowledge. Some never bring words of knowledge. Some love prophesying over individuals. Some have gifts to see the massive big picture. Some prophets speak far into the future. Some prophets speak right into the present or the past. Prophets come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. That felt good to say. And it's, it's vital that in your context, if you want to grow prophets, you've got to have a broader understanding of them. Because many of them are sitting in our churches feeling unrecognized, unvalued, and dishonored because no one really recognizes who they are in God. Prophets must be taken out of the box. They come in all shapes and sizes. You know, just thinking of a, a friend of mine who, you know, he's a, he's a prophet, but he's a prophet in the business world, in the marketplace. I uh, was chatting to him last, last week. We had a beer, had a catch-up. I said, so what's going on in your world? And he's like, well, you know, I'm nearly at the three-year anniversary of starting my, my business in London. Um, he says, you know, we've, we've hit a kind of a three million turnover in three years. I've now got 16 staff members and every week I'm in and out of the treasury and the cabinet office. He said on Tuesday um, I've been invited along with a hundred other people and bear in mind this guy's in his late 20s with just a hundred other people with the Prime Minister and half the cabinet and the theme for the day is Britain and the future of the world. (laughs) And I was like wow, I said that is amazing. He said and he told me about another occasion where he was overseas in Dubai and uh, in the room at the time uh, was Gordon Brown so the former Prime Minister uh, the creator of Angry Birds um, one of the richest men in the whole world and they were having a discussion about uh, culture and how you create culture and uh, they said we'd love to someone to chair this meeting please anyone here would like to do that and so my friend who at the time was about 28 years old stuck his hand up and he's like yeah I'll do that <laughs> and so suddenly this guy is being this voice for creating culture in an incredibly influential environment wow. you know another one of my friends she's involved in leadership consultancy so she does uh, consultancy uh, in large corporations uh, in the NHS and in other kind of large accountancy firms 
but she she believes in the kind of covert and the overt operation of the prophet. Okay, so the overt operation of the prophet is where you say, "Thus saith the Lord." Well, don't do that actually, but you know you bring the word of the Lord. But covert is where you just look for kingdom opportunity to influence with what the Father's saying. And so she is in these leadership consultancy sessions in one of the companies that she was in. Uh, she was talking to the CEO of the particular company she was doing training for and God suddenly gave her a word of knowledge for him and so she looked at him and she said I just have this feeling that you invent things in fact I feel like you've made at least two inventions but you've never got your inventions patented because you weren't sure whether they would really take off I just feel like I should encourage you to go for it because I think you've got a real gifting in that area so this CEO's mouth drops open he's like well how on earth did you know that that is exactly true and he described these two inventions he'd had that he'd never got patented and she says well do you know what I'm a Christian and sometimes I feel like he tells me things and he's like that is amazing thank you so much well the next week he comes back and he goes up to my friend Karen and he says listen I had this really weird dream last night but I feel like it might mean something and I don't know why but I just feel like you might know what it means <laughs> and so the CEO of a very large business very large corporation in the nation is suddenly doing dream interpretation with my friend Karen the prophet in the marketplace and so she interprets his dream she tells him what it means and it's about his family it's about his home and it's about the future of his business and he's like that is amazing how did you know that she's like well I'm a Christian and sometimes I feel like God speaks to me he's like that is astonishing thank you so much he then sets up a dream interpretation session in his staff canteen that day for any other staff members who want to talk to my friend in the staff canteen listen here's the point of those stories is this prophets come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes because prophets are people gifts the gift is the person How do you then recognize a prophet? Well, four things. You recognize a prophet by ability, calling, connection, and anointing. Ability, calling, connection, and anointing. Prophets firstly have to have an ability, which is about your gifting. You actually have to be able to hear Jesus. Okay, If you're going to be called to be a prophet, you've got to have a track record of hearing him and hearing him most of the time accurately in a way that brings fruits, that has an effect in other people's lives, that does actually encourage them, that does actually strengthen them. Your ability. Typically, uh, prophets have either uh, an ability for insight, foresight or oversight. Insight is the ability to see into situations. Foresight is the ability to see the future. And oversight is the ability to have governmental understanding of prophetic context. Ability. Got to have ability in the prophetic. Secondly, 
You've got to have calling. If you're going to be a prophet, you've got to at some point in your life be able to articulate, Jesus has asked me to do this. Because this scripture says, Christ has given gifts. Christ apportions grace. And that's why so often through scripture when people talk about being prophets or apostles, they say, I'm an apostle by the will of Christ Jesus. Or Jeremiah called to be a prophet. He could remember and trace his calling as a prophet. If you have a kind of inkling, I I think God may be calling me to be a prophet. I would say to you, when is the moment in your life where you can articulate, Jesus asked me to do this? It's very, very important. You can't go to school and come out with a prophet certificate. You can't go to a training course and come out of the training course with your I am now a prophet certificates. Even though you can do that scarily in some schools in different parts of the world. That's not how it works. Ultimately, you've got to be able to articulate, Jesus has asked me to do this. He's called me. He's called me. You know, I remember... For me, when Jesus called me to be a prophet, I was, uh, I was still a young man. I was 17 years old at the time. And I was in a, in a meeting in Brighton. And one of the elders came over to me and he laid his hands on me and he prophesied over me. He said, Phil, God is calling you to be a prophet. He said, while others laugh, you will weep. And while others weep, you will laugh. Because you'll see the deliverance of God around the corner. And there's going to be power in your ministry. He's calling you to be a prophet. And I was already sensing that in my own heart. But that was the moment I can trace back and say, Jesus, you, you told me to do that. And one of the reasons why that's so important is that if you don't know that Jesus has asked you to do it, you'll want to give up. (laughs) Unless you have a sense of, God, you, I'm only doing this because you told me to, you will want to give up. And you need to be able to know, God, I'm just doing this because you asked me to. You've got to have a calling. You know, prophets have all sorts of different aspects to their calling. Some prophets are culture-building prophets like Daniel and Joseph. Some are home movement prophets like Amos and Hosea. Some are challenging establishment prophets like Elijah. Some are outreach prophets like Jonah. Some are personal supporting prophets like Nathan. Some are leadership prophets like Samuel, David, Moses. But whatever it looks like, you've got to be able to articulate a call from God. Thirdly, you recognize prophets because they are growing in their connection. Connection. Now, connection is that non-specific development process in your life where you are growing in favor with God and in favor with man. Do you remember it says of Jesus in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in favour with God and in favour with man. And if you are uh, developing other people, or you yourself are developing along this track of, of developing into your prophetic ministry, there needs to be this third process of growing in connection with God and with others, which really is about learning to steward your favour well. 
Stewarding your favour well. Being faithful with what gives you in the season of character development, hiddenness, serving somebody else's vision, coming under authority, working in the body, being faithful in the little things. It's that process of growing in favour with God, where God sees that you fear him and his words, but also you grow in favour with people around you. And it's often in that developmental process, which can take decades, it can take years, it's in that process at some point where other people start to say, I recognise that you are a prophet. It's in that season where you've grown in connection with God and with other people that other people start to recognise what it is that you carry. And they start to say, Rob, you're a prophet. I recognise what you carry. I don't know how I didn't see it before, but now I see it. And that's because you've worked through that process of growing in connection in your gifting. Do you know, you can't be a prophet in isolation from people. You, you, you can't be the lone ranger prophet from the outside of the church lobbing thrones from, stones from a distance. That does not work. That model does not operate anymore. You've got to be in it to win it. Which means that you've got to learn how to walk in favour with people. People who are different than you. People who see the world through a different lens than you do. People whose gifts who work in a different way than yours do. It means you learn to need to learn to work with people that frustrate you. It means you need to know to handle the frustrations of the prophetic ministry. It means you need to live in the present while you're just aware of the future all the time. You need to learn to navigate the tension of the now and the not yet. That is so important. If you can't navigate that, you will never grow into your calling to be a prophet. Because you need connection with people who begin to say, I recognise who you are and the way that you've lived your life. And therefore, we come to the fourth point, which is anointing. There comes a moment where there is a timely appointed season of God for you to walk in the calling that he's given you. So best to illustrate this with David, who was anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel many, many, many years before he actually had the anointing to rule as king. David had the calling to be king. He carried it in his heart. Samuel recognized the anointing to be king of Israel. But David still lived with this understanding. I am in this season called to serve Saul, who's called by God in this season to lead the nation. My time will come, but right now the anointing of God is upon Saul. And so I'm going to come under his anointing until my appointed season. But then there came a season, a decade or so later, where the anointing of God flowed into the calling of God, and he became king of Israel. And anointing is about that intangible and yet so tangible sense of the timing and the presence and the anointing of the Spirit to do what God had called you to do and to operate in your prophetic gifting and anointing. So ability, calling, connection and anointing. Now all of that to say, it is very possible for you to have great ability and a clear calling, but need to work on your connection and anointing. So potential and emerging prophets in your churches 
probably the thing that you need to work on them with is how they grow in favour with God and how they grow in favour with man. That's probably what they will need most help with. Typically they'll be able to hear Jesus, they'll probably have a sense of calling, but they need the body to help them grow in connection. Next, verse 12. You guys doing okay? Alright, verse 12. Paul says, They are put in the body to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body. So here is a really key verse on what prophets actually do. What the prophets do. We've recognised who they are, how they operate, what do they do. Well, two key words. They equip and they build. Prophets equip and they build. Those are the two words that Paul uses here. The word equipping here is the word cartesio, and it has this connotation of furnishing a house. So Paul is saying what prophets do, they help to furnish the house. They put the right furniture in the house, the prophetic furniture in the house of God. That's what prophets do. They are, again, the divine bodybuilders of the church. They are building and equipping the people of God to become his prophetic people. Which means that it's not the prophet's job to do all the prophesying. Let me just say that again, because I thought that was good. Yeah. It's not the prophet's job to do all the prophesying. I don't know if you've ever been to a church where you, you do, the same person is always the person who's prophesying. Now, that's fine, but that's not necessarily evidence that they're a prophet. It might be evidence that they have a very strong prophetic gifting, but a prophet is someone who's gifted to equip and build. And that's very different. So you, you, you might have the sharpest public gift, but may not necessarily be able to reproduce that gift in other people. And that is one of the hallmarks of a prophet, is they can reproduce their gift around them and bring others into the culture in which they live personally. And it's very important that we don't set up prophets to be like the kind of mediums and soothsayers between us and the Lord. Do you know, I sometimes get people come up to me and they're like, Phil, can you pray for us? Can you pray for us? I'm like, I'd love to pray for you. Now, pray for me is code language for, please, will you prophesy over me? Okay? Now, that's okay as long as they don't think that I have more access to the Father than they do. Because that's not true. If they are coming to me as a kind of soothsayer or medium between them and the Father, then there is something that needs to change in their thinking. Because you can all hear Jesus from the least to the greatest. And the prophet's job is not to do all the prophesying, but is to equip other people to hear Jesus themselves. You know, I think prophets are a little bit like telephone engineers. You know, a telephone engineer is to come into your house and put the right equipment in your house so that you can talk on your own telephone. And prophets, that's what prophets do. They put the right stuff in your culture so that everyone can talk on their own telephone and hear Jesus. The prophet's job is not to come and talk on the telephone that they've just installed in your house. (laughs) That would defeat the point. They equip God's people to become prophetic. 
so that we all get to hear him. You have access to the Father. And that's why I think one of the great litmus tests of whether you really have a prophetic culture in your church is what is your kids' ministry like? If your kids are hearing Jesus effortlessly and normally as part of their normal life, then that is a healthy sign that you've got a prophetic culture. Because the very youngest should be getting very quickly, I get to hear Jesus. That's just, that's just what we do. That's just how it works. There are three areas particularly that prophets equip and build. Very quickly, here's what they are. Paul mentioned these in verse 13. Firstly, prophets build us together and they equip us to honour. And Paul talks about the unity of the faith. Prophets build us together and they equip us to honour. One of the things that prophets do is help to build churches that have incredible diversity and yet an incredible unity. Prophets should not be divisive people. Prophets actually bring unity. Now that doesn't mean that prophets don't sometimes bring hard messages. And it doesn't mean that people have no responsibility for what they do with those messages. But when God speaks, it's for strengthening, encouragement and comfort. That means the Father's heart is to build us together. It's to build honour. It's to build us together as a people. It's to bring togetherness. And prophets have been put in the church to build a togetherness by an incredible diversity and one of the things I love about prophetic people is that they seem to love and connect to diversity they love uniqueness they love creativity very often they love things that are a bit out of the box they seem to kind of be able to embrace kind of the far edges and the far spectrums you know the, the wild eccentrics down this end but also the people that are right down this end as well and prophets have an ability to bring people together very often the way they do that is through encouragement prophets bring encouragement and what encouragement does is it builds us together as his people you know, I remember uh, going to another church in Canada and it was led by a dear friend of mine called Fred and just faithfully plugging away in this church for decade after decade. It wasn't a particularly big church, but he's been incredibly faithful and his people loved him. And right at the start of my message, I said, I just want to start with something a little bit different. I just want to encourage Fred. And suddenly everyone's faces just went <gasps> like this. And I said, Fred, I just want to say to you, thank you so so much for the way that you've led this community so faithfully. You are an amazing man of God. You have such stature. You've pastored. You've cared for people so well. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your faithful praying. Thank you for the things that people never see, for the secret hidden acts. I mean, and I just went on and on and on and on and on and on. And his tears were streaming down his face. And I said, come on church, let's appreciate, let's, uh, let's express our appreciation for Fred. The whole church stood up and applauded and started to gather around him and they hugged him and it was just this amazing kind of family moments as suddenly this man received some honour and encouragement that's what prophets should do in your church they should bring togetherness in the family of God and celebrate diversity you know, and I would say to you, if you are a prophet or emerging prophet and you find that people with different gift types frustrate you or irritate you, they are probably doing their best. <laughs> they are probably doing their best. 
And the answer is not to give in to your frustration, but to use your frustration to build honourable relationships with people that need you, but you need them. Learn how to express honour in a healthy way. You can disagree, but you can do it honourably. Learn how to do that. Secondly, Paul says that uh, these gifts of Christ build us to God and equip us to an encounter. And Paul there talks about bringing us to a knowledge of the Son of God. Now, knowledge, of course, in Scripture is multifaceted. The word knowledge here is gnosis, which means to know through personal first-hand experience. To bring us to a knowledge of Christ. Personal, first-hand experience. Paul here is not talking about academic knowledge. Not that academic knowledge is wrong. That's very important. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about bring they, these gifts of Christ bring you to a knowledge, a personal, first-hand experience of God. In fact, that word gnosis is the very same word that Mary uses when she says to the angel after he's just said, you're going to have a child. And she says, how will this be since I have never known a man? No is a very intimate, very personal, very experiential word. And one of the things that prophets do is that they equip the people of God to encounter him experientially. And that is why prophets very often have a high regard for encounter, experience, God's presence, praying for people, prophesying, leaving room for the spirit, going deeper, soaking, listening to music seeing visions, hearing Jesus, reading the words, having wonder encounters. That's why. Because they're there to equip God's people to an encounter. To actually know him through personal first-hand experience. And again, I want to encourage you, if you're developing prophets, to encourage them in this regard. Because sometimes... I think sometimes prophets have a bad press because they're labelled as the kind of flaky experiential ones. The reality is you need the flaky experiential ones because they're part of God's jigsaw for you coming to know Christ. It's not the only part of the jigsaw, but it's a very important part. And so I would encourage you to start asking questions of your prophetic people. What are you seeing? What are you feeling? What are you sensing from God? Now, a lady came into my office about a year ago and she said, Phil, can I just talk about some of the experiences I've had over the last 20 years? I don't know what to do them. I've never talked to anyone about them before. I'm a little bit embarrassed, if I'm honest. I- I- I've always been worried people just label me as totally eccentric. I was like, okay, tell me. Well, she said, three times in my life when I've been praying, I've been physically transported to a different location as I've been praying. One of those occasions, I got transported in the spirit to an African village, and she described it to me. She described the colour of the soil. She said, I was around this campfire. There were small African children. Numbers of them were sitting on my laps. Numbers of them were orphans, and I was laughing and singing and dancing with them. And then suddenly, I came to myself, and I was in my own room again. That's happened three times to me. What do I do with that? That is a great question. And she said, actually, on one of those occasions, years later, I went to Zambia and I recognised that vision I'd had years ago was the very same place that God brought me to years later in my life. 
And she said, also, she said, two weeks ago I had this experience where I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a seven-foot angel standing at the end of my bed with his arms folded staring at me. (laughs) What do I do with that? You know, I quite regularly see angels and numbers of people in our community are very familiar with seeing angelic activity. She said, I regularly see them, but I've never known what to do with them. And I've always kept quiet because I've always been afraid I'd be labelled as weird and eccentric. I said to her, you are a gift to this church. And the gift that you carry, we need. She says, well, what do I do with this stuff? So I said, well... On the angel one, I said, angels are sent by God to minister to the saints. So you need to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, why have you sent this angel to me? What's the purpose behind it? She said, okay, that's a good idea. So she went away, came back a few days later, and she said, I did what you said. I asked God about this angel, and he said to me that the angel's name is Greg. (laughs) Greg, okay? Not as prestigious as Gabriel, perhaps, or Michael, but Greg. And she said, I thought that was a bit strange, but I looked up the meaning of the name Greg, and it means watchful. And then God spoke to me and said, I want you to know that I'm watching over your life, and I'm watching over the church in this season. And that's why I've assigned this angelic help to you. And she then told me later that every time she was in a particular pastoral situation, a very sticky, difficult one, Greg would show up in the corner of the room with his arms folded just watching over her God gives prophets to your communities to equip God's people to encounter so get into the habit of asking people what are you seeing what are you sensing and listen without prejudice listen with open eyes listen through a biblical lens of all the ways that God speaks and then lastly prophets build us up And they equip us to stature. Paul here talks about bringing us to a mature manhood. Maturity. The goal of prophets is to bring God's people to maturity. And I don't know if you remember those old school photographs when you were like five or six, where your head is huge, but your body is really tiny. Do you remember those photos? They're hilarious. Kind of when you go around in people's families and they've got this massive head, tiny shoulders. And there's that funny, awkward season where your head is much bigger than your body is. And you're kind of growing into your own skin. And Paul, when he's writing, he says, listen, God is bringing the body to maturity. And he's bringing it to a place where one day the body will be in right proportion with the head. The head is Christ and the body is his bride. God is bringing us to a mature manhood where the body is in perfect proportion to the head. If you are a prophet, your job is to build the body so it fits the head perfectly. To bring us to a mature manhood. Jesus is preparing a bride that looks like him and prophets get to play their part in that. So there is a whistle-stop tour of Ephesians 4, who prophets are and what they do.